Thank you for downloading this podcast from Guymere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, guymerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called him out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Thank you, Heather. And uh, good morning. Welcome. It's good to have you with us this morning. It's good to have John Delizio with us as well. John, as he said, started about nine weeks ago and uh, has been doing a great job for us. So do make sure you say hello to John. Uh, and uh, he's the voice on the other side of the phone if you've been calling about uh, various aspects on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, hopefully he'll get to all our services eventually and just kind of say hello to various congregations as well. Uh, and uh, let me just also mention again, uh, as I did last week, that uh, next Sunday is Mark Coleman's induction. Uh, so we're going to take some time to celebrate together God's faithfulness to us in bringing Mark and Nicolay here and uh, officially welcome him into ministry. Uh, so make sure that you set next Sunday apart uh, and, uh, and be here for that special celebration. Uh, as, uh, as has been mentioned a couple of times, we're in this series entitled Choices. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've come across the parable of the blind men and the elephant. You know that one? Five or six blind men, uh, blind from birth, have never seen an elephant, obviously. And they all kind of are introduced to an elephant, and they all bump into various parts of said elephant. Uh, and the part that they uh, kind of bump into is what they then assume the whole elephant is. So one man bumps into the leg and grabs hold of the leg and thinks, well, an elephant is obviously like a tree. Another one gets the tail and goes, oh, it's, it's like a rope. And one hits the, the ear and it's flapping around. He goes, it's like a fan. Uh, one bloke bangs into the side of the elephant and goes, well, an elephant is obviously a wall. And kind of on and on it goes. You with me so far? Uh, and, and it's a kind of a parable for our times. Uh, because what it seems to say is there is a big truth out there, but we are all like blind men and women and we only kind of bump into a bit of it. And so the bit that we bump into, we kind of get a, a grasp of part of the truth, but we don't have the whole truth. That's pluralism, isn't it? It's a good parable for our time, where everyone's view of the world, everyone's understanding of the world, everyone's faith, all those sorts of things are all basically the same. We've all got a little bit of the truth. You've just bumped into the leg and I've bumped into the side, but let's just agree to disagree, right? Uh, does that make sense? No? Yes? Now, that's not a Christian parable. If you're kind of thinking to yourself, I can't remember Jesus talking about elephants. <laughs> it's not a Christian parable. In fact, if we were to kind of Christianize it, it would be that Jesus came, healed all the blind men, and showed them the truth. And it wasn't an elephant. It was him. Right? That, that's kind of the version. But that's part of the world in which we live. And so for us to kind of wander around saying, we have the truth, we have seen the whole elephant, uh, just rubs people the wrong way. 
And so it's important to remember that the choices that we make are not only um, choices that are good for discipleship, they're, uh, they're, they're choices instead that bear witness to what we have seen and heard and experienced of Jesus. We don't have to prove that we've seen the whole elephant. All we have to be able to do is to bear witness in our choices to what we have seen, heard, and experienced in Jesus and allow that, that witness, that testimony to make the difference. And so this series has been entitled Choices, Bearing Witness to Jesus in a Pluralistic World. Uh, and those two principles are kind of what's been at the heart of it. So we've looked at the choice of community, bearing witness to what God has done here in the church. We've looked at the choice of service, bearing witness to the upside-down economy of the kingdom of God and the example of Jesus. And last week, Mark reminded us of the choice of prayer and how that bears witness to our reliance upon God. And today we want to look at the choice of holiness and what that bears witness to. Now, when I Googled uh, images for holiness, this is what I came up with. Uh, doves coming down from heaven, um, some guy out in a field with his arm raised, and individual surrender. I don't know why he's in the middle of a field, but he is. It's very poetic and artistic, right? Uh, and, and I thought, that's, that's close, isn't it? Now, both of those capture something of holiness, don't they? Uh, certainly the Holy Spirit is symbolized by the dove as part and parcel of why and how we become holy. Uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit was uh, what uh, drove Christ's own ministry. Uh, it should lead to a certain sense of awe and humility in the presence of God and whatnot. But that's not actually all that holiness is, particularly as we relate to ourselves. Uh, in fact, the, the, the kind of the essential meaning of holiness is to be set apart. And so when I searched set apart, that's when I came up with the red apple and the green apples, or the white ball and the red balls, or the black person and the yellow people, or whatever it was. It was kind of the sense of being different and standing out and just being, well, different, being a red apple in a green apple world. And again, that's part of what holiness is, isn't it? About being set apart and being distinct and about being unique. But the image that I actually chose is this one. I don't know whether or not this young man is a Christian. I have no idea if he has any faith at all. He just happened to be the stock image of someone who worked in a grocery store. He is holy. Let me tell you why. He is set apart in both his garb and his location behind the counter for a purpose. That is, I think, the distinct feature of what holiness is about. It's about being set apart, but not just to be set apart. It's not about being a red apple in a green apple world. It's about being set apart for a purpose. This young man has been set apart for the purposes of fulfilling the business and operational principles of the company he works for. He doesn't choose to wear the uniform of the uh, nice checked shirt and the apron because it's a fashion statement. He wears that to set him apart as someone who works in this grocery store. He stands behind the register to serve those who are purchasing things in the store. He has an access code. He has been set apart for a purpose. We are holy in the same way. We are set apart for a purpose. It's not enough just to be set apart. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to have a look at that passage in 
in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter describes the church again. Chapter 2, starting in verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And just think about those terms. First of all, each of those are kind of taken from the Old Testament. Peter is taking language that was originally applied to the people of Israel as the people of God to the church. But just think about the language. You are a chosen people. It begs the question, doesn't it? Chosen for what? I mean, if your boss comes into you tomorrow and says, congratulations, you are chosen, and then walks away, what are you going to say? What you, what am I, what, oh, I've been chosen for what? I've been chosen to be, uh, to be made redundant. I've been chosen to be upgraded. I've been chosen to be fast-tracked. I've been chosen to sit on a committee or a board or go to a conference. What have I been chosen for? The people of Israel and the church, we have been chosen. And what have we been chosen for? We've been chosen to be a royal priesthood. Now, how's that for uh, two words that we don't use anymore? Right? When you think royal, probably just like me, I think, I wonder what Kate's wearing this week. All right? I'm not sure that's what the Peter's on about here. Remember, in, in the first century, royalty was linked quite strongly with the gods. It was unfathomable, unthinkable that someone could rule and, and do so outside of the will of the gods. And so kings and queens ruled with the permission and the authority and the will of the gods to, to bring about the will of the gods. And the priesthood, the royal priesthood, was those who served the king himself. And priests were those who, shall we say, uh, mediated uh, the presence of God. They were the divinely sanctioned mediators of the presence of God. They stood between the people and that which they wanted to gain access to. They were kind of like school teachers. If you want to think about a, a modern analogy for a royal priesthood, those of you who are teachers are kind of going, yeah, I like the sound of that. Imagine, you know, in our day and age, of course, knowledge is the thing that will get us ahead, isn't it? If we get a HSC, a decent result, if we get a university degree, it opens all sorts of possibilities for us. Knowledge and, and, and experience and expertise is what we want. And often we get that through teachers, don't we? Teachers show us how to learn. They teach us the things that we need in order to pass exams and all of those sorts of things that we might be successful. We, Peter says, the church are kind of like the school teachers for the world. We are those who teach people how to relate to God. We're the ones who teach people what God is about and what He's like and the sorts of things that we need to be doing in order to relate to Him effectively. We are the royal priesthood. We are, furthermore, God's possession, a holy nation. A holy nation. Now, when you think about what that means... Uh, have any of you ever been to a display home? You know, you want to buy a house or you want to build a house or you think maybe one day you'd like to build a house or you know that you're never ever going to build a house but you like to think you're going to build a house and so you go to the display homes. And a display home is a home that has been built just like the home that you may or may not ever build, right? But what you get to do is you get to wander through the display home. It, I mean, I don't know if you've ever looked at blueprints. Blueprints are all well and good, but it's kind of hard to imagine where the lounge goes. 
But if you wander through the display home, you can, just, you can picture it, can't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The computer can go there so the girls can do their homework and the table will go. Ooh, yes. Did you bring the measuring tape? And look, the lounge will fit right there. The television goes there. This would be fantastic. When my parents come to stay, they can live there. That's the purpose of a display home, isn't it? You can kind of try it out and see what it looks like in the flesh. The people of Israel and the church after them are meant to be God's display home of what it means to live in relationship with God. People should have been able to travel to Israel from any other surrounding nation and live there for a while and say, huh, so this is what it means to be in relationship with the, with the one true God, with Yahweh. Huh, that's amazing. People ought to be able to come to church and realize, oh, that's what it means to live in relationship with God. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. This is where I would put my theological lounge and my spiritual dining table. And this is how it would fit. This is how it would work. This is what we are called to. We are the public display of the kingdom at work. That is holiness, pure and simple. It's what we are called to do. But Peter actually has a further purpose. If you have a look <clears throat> a little bit later on in the piece, he says this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. You're not just called to be the royal priesthood. You're not just called to be the display home of the kingdom. You're not just called to be set apart. You are there to declare the praises of him who has brought you from darkness to light. Now, where do we declare those things? Well, we kind of did it earlier this morning, didn't we? You alone can rescue, you alone can save. All right, that sounds like a declaration of praise to me. And we might do it privately in our own individual lives. But notice that Peter's primary place for declaration is in public. Did you hear what he said in, in verse 11? Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Our declaration of what God has done for us is to be a public one. What we do here as a choice of gathering together, a choice of singing praises to God, declaring what he has done is all well and good. But the choices that we are called to make, the choices that bear witness to what we have seen and heard and experienced of Jesus matter more out there than they do here. I love to hear us singing. I love to hear the declaration of the praises of God's people. I'm sure you do as well. But what Peter is calling us to is not sing songs. He's calling us to live our lives among the pagans, amongst those who don't believe. And there, in public, we are to bear witness to two things. God's goodness to us in Christ is the first. He has called us from darkness into his wonderful light. We've been called from a, a life that was empty, without purpose, without meaning, even if we thought it had, into his wonderful light called into a relationship with the one true God through Christ in the power of the Spirit. Our actions ought to reflect that. 
bear witness to the transforming power that makes us holy, that sets us apart for a purpose. And also, we are called to declare God's purposes for the world revealed in Christ. Jesus did not come to save individuals, did he? He didn't come to even save individuals and bring them into the church. Jesus came preaching the kingdom. He came preaching the reign and rule of God over the whole world. He wants to see individuals and the church and the world brought back into conformity with Jesus Christ. And so our public declaration is not just that we are more pious than other people. Uh, we, We don't swear nearly as much as everybody else does. No. Our actions, our attitudes, our holiness ought to declare and bear witness to God's goodness to us in Christ and God's purposes for the world in Christ. It's a much bigger thing, wouldn't you say? And therefore, our holiness ought to be characterized by a number of, I think, particular features. I think, first of all, our holiness ought to be corporate. In other words, it's not enough for you to be holy and for me to be holy. We need to be holy because we are set apart for this purpose. It's not a matter of only being holy if you're a missionary or in full-time church service. Holiness is for all of us because we have all of us been set apart for a purpose, to declare the goodness of God to us in Christ and to declare the purposes of God for us in Christ. And to some degree, those of you who are not missionaries, who do not work in full-time church service, are in a much better place to do that than I am. I have a hard time finding pagans to declare things to. (laughs) Most of you work with them. Your public declaration, the things that you are about, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, that is the public declaration of the church. So let us be holy. I think our holiness ought to be characterized by being relational. And what I mean by that is that we need to recognize that holiness is not a to-do list or a to-not-to-do list. Holiness is our relationship with God and the purpose He has given to us. It is a relationship with God, and that means, I think, that our holiness ought to be characterized by graciousness. Legalism happens when I take my list of holiness and make it the list of holiness. Or when you take your list and make it the list. And all of a sudden, I compare you to my list, which is not how holiness works at all. Think about a group of friends that you're a part of. Kind of picture them in your mind. Maybe there's three, four, five of you, maybe more if, you're, if you've got that kind of relational capacity, maybe less. have got a couple really close friends. Here's the really interesting thing about friendships and relationships. The way I relate to my two closest mates is a little bit different with each, as I'm sure it is with you and your friends. Because there are no real rules for how you relate to friends, is there? There's some guidelines. You know, you kind of like each other and, uh, you know, you keep secrets or, you know, keep those sensitive sorts of things to yourself. You don't gossip or stab them in the back. You help them out when you can. Those sorts of basic ground rules. But in reality, there's no wrong way to be friends, is there? If, if you are my friend, 
then we're friends. I'm not going to kind of pick you up on it and say, listen, according to my list, you've failed as a friend. If you meet the guidelines of, you know, kind of liking me and wanting the best for me and all that kind of stuff and I for you, then is there a wrong way to do that? Our relationship with God ought to be gracious. Yes, there's some basic guidelines for what it looks like to be in relationship with the Lord and sustainer of life. However, outside of that, well, it might look a little bit different. And therefore, our set apart, our our purpose for being set apart might look a little bit different from those around us. But our holiness will also be missional. In other words, it will be something that uh, is attractive to those who do not yet know God in Christ. There ought to be something about our holiness that attracts people. And you've got to say we're not quite doing it right, are we? Because holiness often is thought of as pushing people away. Often because we're, we've got our lists and we're, uh, we're prone to legalism and we're prone to kind of boxing things in, saying this is in and that is out. And so I think we need to be aware of how our holiness, the declarations that we are making actually make a a difference in people's lives. And I think, therefore, if it is to be corporate and relational and gracious and missional, it also ought to be all-encompassing. Our holiness ought to invade every aspect of our lives. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Leviticus chapter 19. How's that for a change of pace? Leviticus 19 uh, is uh, usually headed in, uh, in most translations as various laws or miscellaneous laws or something along those lines. And the reason is actually fairly clear uh, because it's full of various laws. Huh? But let me read the opening line to you. Verse nine, chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy, be set apart for the purposes I've given to you to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, because I am holy. And then there are uh, various laws. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I'm the Lord your God. That kind of sounds like the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? Uh, Do not uh, turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I'm the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. So in case you were wondering, that's how you do that. Verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Verse 11, don't steal, don't lie, don't deceive one another. Uh, Verse 13, do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I'm the Lord. Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, uh, but love your neighbor as yourself. So you all knew part of Leviticus 19, even though you didn't know it. Uh, Verse 19, do not make different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. If a man sleeps with a female slave who's promised to another man but has not been ransomed or given her freedom, well, there, you, there's the details about that, if you ever wondered. 
Uh, verse 23, when you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden for three, months, three years. You're not to, you're, sorry, you're to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy and offering to praise to the Lord. In the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. So there you go. If you planted a tree, keep that in mind. Uh, do not eat meat with the blood in it. Do not practice divination. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head. Oops. Or clip off the edges of your beard. Oops again. Uh, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves on the Lord. Don't let your daughters become prostitutes. Observe my Sabbath. Don't go to witches. Stand in the presence of the elderly and on and on it goes. You can see why they've titled it uh, Various Laws, can't you? I'm not sure how many of you have seen uh, the updated version of The Karate Kid. Just to completely change tracks for a moment. Uh, Dre Parker uh, and, uh, and his uh, teacher, Mr. Han. Dre Parker is a young man from the United States who's moved to China with his mother. He didn't really want to move. He ends up going to this international school. He's being bullied by some boys in the, in the school, and so he seeks to learn Kung Fu and eventually manages to get Mr. Han, the maintenance man in the apartment where they live, to teach him. Now, Dre has a really bad habit, and Mr. Han, the maintenance man, has observed this, where he comes in the front door and just drops his jacket on the floor, and his mother is forever saying, Dre, pick up your jacket. So his first Kung Fu lesson, it's out in this little courtyard, and there's a kind of a, 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 a dowel driven into a, a pole, about head height for Dre, and the very first thing he says is, take off your jacket. So he takes off his jacket. He says, hang up your jacket. Hangs up his jacket. Just take it down. Takes it down, puts it on the ground, on the ground, pick it up, picks it up, hang it up, hang it up, put it on, put it on, takes it off, hang it up, put it down, put it on, take it off, right, all this kind of thing. He does it for days. And finally he snaps. He says, Mr. Han, I get it. I should pick up my jacket, right? I'm with you on that one. But I'd like to learn some kung fu, right? That's kind of what I'm here for. And he says, and you're a lousy kung fu teacher. And he storms off. And Mr. Han, played by Jackie Chan, gets up and says, Dre, come back here. He comes back and he says, put on your jacket. He goes to put his jacket on and Mr. Han grabs the jacket out of his hands and throws it on the ground. He says, put on your jacket. He says, put, put on your jacket. And as he goes to make the move of putting on his jacket, he realizes that it's actually a kung fu move. Right? The whole wax on, wax off routine. Right? And when he puts his jacket on, it's the reverse move. And when he puts his jacket down and when he hangs it up, and there's this kind of sparring scene as he kind of realizes that putting the jacket up and down and all that stuff has actually been teaching him Kung Fu the whole time. And they spar through the garden all the way a bit, and finally Mr. Han grabs him and pushes him back. And he says, Kung Fu lives in everything that we do. It's in how we put on a jacket. It's in how we treat others. Everything is Kung Fu. Now, when I teach that at Morlean, I like to show the, the, the video just before break and say, go and discuss what the connection is between Leviticus 19 and that. <laughs> I'm not going to make you wait. Here's the deal. Leviticus 19 has all of these regulations about just everything, everything in life. It has, it's, it's, it's about every aspect of the relationship. All right? God says, be holy, and then he outlines every area. He says, and holiness lives in how you pay your workers. Holiness lives in how you harvest your fields. Holiness lives in how you do your fellowship offerings and in your sexual ethics and in how you obey the Ten Commandments, the kind of the summary, the executive summary of the law, and how you treat your parents and how you show respect for the aged and how you care for the poor and for the blind and the deaf in your midst. 
Holiness exists in the sorts of clothing that you wear and how you cut your hair and how you treat your bodies and how you treat your children. Everything is holy. Everything is kung fu. It lives in every area of our lives. Holiness is not just some small little area of our lives that's just between us and God. In my prayer, in my self-control, or in my Bible reading, or whatever it is, it's not just there. It lives in every area of our lives. It's in the clothes we wear. Now, if you were wearing uh, clothing that has two types of fabric in it, it's okay. Just as those of you have accidentally trimmed the sides of your beard or your hair, it's okay. But have you ever thought about how your clothing reflects your relationship with God? And the fair trade market's an opportunity to do that, isn't it? Where we actually consider the justice behind the clothes we wear? Have you ever thought about what fashion says about your relationship with God? about how you cut your hair? Have you ever wondered about how your business practices relate to your relationship with God? Everything, everything is holy because every single part of our lives has been caught up in the plans and purposes of God in Christ. God did not send Jesus to save your soul. He died to save you, all of you. He came to redeem everything, everything. And therefore, every part of our lives, everything has been caught up into that plan and is a reflection of how we have been set apart for the purposes of God in this world. So let us be holy. Let us choose to be holy. To declare the praises before those that we work amongst of what has happened to us in Jesus and of his plans and purposes for the entire world in Christ. Pick up your jacket. May everything Everything reflect the things of God. Let me take an opportunity to pray. As the team come, we're going to finish by singing um, kind of a bit of a favorite of ours, Build Your Kingdom, a song that talks about how our lives are wrapped up in something much bigger than just getting to heaven, but about seeing God's purposes come to pass in our world right now. So will you join me as we pray? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that your plans and purposes for us are so much bigger than just us as individuals or even just forgiving our sins, as important as in, and as critical as that is. That you've come to do so much more. That you've come to forgive us in order that we might be in right relationship with you. That we might reflect the values and priorities of your kingdom, that in every aspect of our lives, we might declare the praises 
of you who have brought us from darkness into life. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue your work of transformation, that we would be conformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ in our attitude, in our character, in our actions, in our thoughts, and in our words. May our expression of holiness together as your chosen people be corporate, relational, and gracious, missional, and all-encompassing. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.